And this is where I want to make this advocacy. And it's an appeal to the government that, look, people cases should be decided earlier. If they are not qualified for asylum, send them back. And if they are qualified, give it to them. This is somebody that is already traumatized in his own country. So, hello and welcome to the Still We Rise podcast. We're on episode two where we're talking to people who come to Britain to come and seek protection. Today we're joined by Joseph, who is a person with a disability and has come here to, to claim asylum. So, Joseph, welcome. Thank you very much. So, talk to us about, about arriving in Britain and, and making your asylum claim. What was that process like for you as a person with a disability? Uh, yes, I actually arrived in UK um, September 2018. However, I seek my asylum um, on the 30th of uh, January 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking as an asylum seeker with a disability, it's a different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Because as a person with a disability, you have special needs. Yeah. You have challenges or uh, more than able-bodied person and it is expected uh, that you will be treated differently and i think the uk laws are very good with uh, that if you look at the equality act of the uk yeah it's characterized persons with disabilities under protected characteristics what mm-hmm. that means is they are vulnerable and they should be given priority in so many things so they will be able to have a leverage to compete favorably uh, with other able citizens or other able right. uh, individuals. Yeah. But when it comes to asylum process, I think that is not taken into consideration. You are treated just like any other person. Uh, from from my own experience, I couldn't see the difference. I couldn't mm. see the difference in the sense that uh, you are kept in a hotel at that initial application, that is Section 98, you are mm-hmm. in, under emergency accommodation. You are not entitled to fund. You are giving uh, ten pound, uh, twenty pound in a whole month, and mm-hmm. as a challenged person who is on a wheelchair, it means you can't go out like your fellow, uh, uh, your fellow asylum applicant who could easily take a walk to the market. You need more money to be able to do that. Now, mm-hmm. a situation where uh, you are given twenty pound a month and you are expected to go out there to shave your health or to visit the barbing salon or to buy necessaries without money. It is not even enough to take a taxi to the market. Talk right. more okay, you. so let's, let's break this down so that people who don't have an understanding of what, of what happens when you claim asylum. So do you go to a physical building to, to go and make this asylum claim or can you do this online or... Do you make a telephone call? What what exactly is the process? Yes, I will tell you what I know, what the, the process I went through. Uh, mm-hmm. I went through um, um, a charity called uh, Refugee Coventry and Immigration Center. I told okay. them I wanted to seek an asylum and I don't have access to a lawyer and I needed their help. Okay. So uh, they helped me to book for an appointment uh, with the home office and that appointment came through they mobilized me by giving me transport to pay money to pick a taxi to the venue and when mm-hmm. i went there i was interviewed uh, by a caseworker where 
uh, I was properly documented and my fingerprint uh, was taken and uh, I was asked questions of the reason why I have sick for my salon. It's a kind of a summary interview where you give the summary of the ground by which uh, you are claiming asylum in the UK. Okay, so at, at this point, do you does this, the Refugee and Migrant Centre, you say are the people who, who arranged this appointment for you, do you... Do they give you access to a lawyer at this point? Because the burden of proving that you're you're an asylum, that you're you're a genuine for that's a controversial word, is entirely on you. So at this point, are you given advice by a lawyer when you go initially to go and make the asylum claim? I think basically that is a challenge of the asylum process in UK. And that is the challenge of most applicants, most people who seek asylum in UK. Uh, from my experience, I was not entitled to a lawyer. I wasn't given a lawyer before I went to the home office. So I went to the home office of my own. It was after I made my initial application that I came back and I requested a lawyer from uh, uh, the refugee center with the obligement to help me to get a legal aid lawyer to okay. attend to me. So uh, I think the challenge is this, and this is where they say lacuna, there's a gap. And that mm. gap is... People should be able to see, have access to lawyers before going to, for their initial application. And this is because hmm. most people who go for asylums are novice of law, they're ignorance of the law. Yeah. And they need to be well informed by a lawyer who could counsel them, who could guide them on what to say, what not to say, and stuff like that. It is not the lawyer is not meant to doctor their information, but the lawyer is to help them hmm. align uh, the, their fact in an orderly manner to tell them their rights and mm -hmm. what their obligations are as far as the asylum process is concerned. But what normally happens is people go to asylum to make an initial application without a lawyer, mm -hmm. make blunders, make mistakes. Some even forget to mention things that could have helped them to uh, make the asylum come true. And when they come back waiting to go for their major interview, they mm -hmm. now have access to a lawyer. In reality, their case is either destroyed already or they have already made their case already. Yeah. Because your initial interview is for you to go and expand on your fact, on the statement, tender evidence, and expand on the fact and where things are taken in detail. So what, what kind of questions are you asked at this at this initial interview that you say is a summary interview? Yeah, basically they will ask you of your name, the reason why you came to see your, your country, your name, your age, they take your fingerprint, they ask you why are you seeking an asylum and you give them in brief. You give uh, you summarize the reason why you are seeking for asylum in brief. Okay. Are there, are there any questions at that interview where you thought that if, had you had a lawyer at that point, would have been really would have been really better for you to understand what they were asking you for of course because people just go there and talk some because it's a summary interview you don't have uh, enough time to express yourself so mm. most people or the tendency the possibility is that you just talk and miss out the main ground for your interview because you were not aware of what could constitute a ground for your interview, even though you're an asylum seeker. So it okay. will always be the best to have access to a lawyer before going for your initial interview. Right. Okay. So you you make the asylum claim, and then now you're you're entitled to some form of accommodation. And you say that the initial accommodation is is emergency accommodation granted under under they call it Section ninety eight accommodation. Um, 
What what is that experience been like for you? Are you having made the claim in January? Are you still in a emergency accommodation? Yes, I wonder why it is called emergency accommodation. Uh, that is section 90 support from the home office. It is called mm-hmm. emergency because you are expected to be there maybe briefly and then a reasonable accommodation can be provided for you. Right. However, most of us days they have many people who are in the hotel in the emergency accommodation that have been there for the past eight months. Personally, I've been there for more than six months. And right. what that means is it is no more emergency. It is a permanent accommodation. And, and, this, and being a person with a, uh, and, with a and, disability, and being what, a person what is that with, like for you? Being a person with disability, I am entitled, generally, once you are in that emergency accommodation, you are giving food in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon and the evening, mm. and you are entitled to £20 per month. As a person with a disability on a wheelchair who need to take taxis to the centre market or go to buy the stationaries or buy uh, toiletries, mm-hmm. uh, you need to pick a taxi. £20 in a month cannot even take you to the market and bring you back. So what are you going to use right, to buy so your toiletries? I, I want to clarify something on that. In, in, our, in our first episode, which people who will have listened to, we were talking about imagining living on £5.39 a day which is what anybody who claims asylum is given per day. They've since increased that by by 22p a day, but uh, people will make of that what they will. You're saying that you're entitled to £20 a month? Yes, I am. So how how, how does that work? Why, why are you not entitled to to the £5.39 a day, given you've also made made an asylum claim yeah i think the reason i don't know why but i could guess the reason the okay. reason is because they are giving me uh, food in the afternoon in the morning okay. my breakfast my lunch and my dinner so they feel i'm not I, I should not have access to money however one thing that is missing is you still need to wash your clothes mm-hmm. we don't have washing machines there since i've been there i've not washed my clothes and so that's you, terrible. You're staying in a hotel I'm without access to... to to a washing machine, and I'm giving twenty pound, and the twenty pound a month cannot take a taxi to where I will even wash my clothes. How do I shave my hair? So I, I'm stuck. I mean, this is. I can't imagine how how, how do you survive from day to day then? What, it's what? very very challenging, very challenging, and uh, I think something needs to be done about this. Because I love the UK asylum process. However, from the look of things, it mm. appears to me, I may be wrong, but it appears to me that those who implement the asylum laws in UK do not follow the process the way it should. Because mm. why do you call an accommodation emergency and I end up living there for six months, eight months, yeah. when the asylum process entirely is one year? So what fraction of that time could constitute emergency? It's a question that we need to know. Okay, At which stage so can we say the emergency accommodation is over? At which emergency should we have access to a reasonable accommodation outside the emergency? These are yeah. issues that remain hanging. Yeah, it's, it seems to me there there definitely needs to be a time limit on what is emergency. You Most people would probably say it's reasonable to be maybe under a month. Yes, uh, uh, a reasonable man thinking we suggest... Mm. that emergency should not be more than three months highest. Yeah. However, at the time it's get to six months, eight months. I met people in the hotel under section eight that have been there for the past eight months. Personally, mm. I've done 
up to six months and i'm still under emergency and the emergency accommodation of sections 98 is not something you want to keep somebody there forever right. and the reason are obvious the reason is because his fundamental rights are taken away mm -hmm. he doesn't choose what he or she want to eat you can't determine when you want to go out. You have to hang around monitoring your food. And that makes you to begin to feel like an animal. You begin to feel like a domestic animal that is is being kept or caged to be fed. Right. And, so, and, and that's quite depressing. So, Joseph, what are you saying here? Are you saying that if, if you left the hotel during um, the period when they're giving people food, then that you're, you're no longer entitled to that food? Is that what happens or...? Let me let, let me share my experience with you. Okay. I volunteer with the British Red Cross. Okay. I also volunteer with the Coventry Refugee and Immigration Center. Okay. Now, anytime I go out to volunteer, trust me, I'm going to miss all my meals. I'll miss my breakfast. Mm -hmm. I'll miss my lunch. This, can't this be arranged with the hotel for them I, to to? No, I try. I, 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 I try to make that arrangement, and I was told it's impossible. They can't keep food for you. So you have to be around. So in essence, once you are under emergency accommodation, that mm -hmm. is what is called Section 98, yeah. you have to continuously be around the hotel premises monitoring when your food will be ready. Because this is someone who is not entitled to money. Therefore, if you miss your meal, you can't eat. Mind you, where mm -hmm. you are doing your voluntary work is free. You are not being paid. Yeah. You can't say, okay, I'm going to buy food when I come back. It so does. What, it, it seems like a yeah, disproportionate uh, uh, interference uh, with your rights. Exactly. And if you look at the asylum law, you are permitted to do voluntary work. The question now is, if I am permitted to do voluntary work mm -hmm. and I'm not permitted to eat when I want and there's no food for me when I'm out doing my voluntary work, mm -hmm. how true is that right for me to volunteer and offer my services to the community? Like me, what I do is because I love what I'm doing. I love to contribute to societal development yeah. and I, I do miss my meals mm -hmm. i have to go hungry i have to go hungry i miss my uh, breakfast i'll make miss my lunch then make attempt to come back and catch up with my dinner so anytime i'm going to have to volunteer i sacrifice apart from the fact that i'm not being paid i have mm -hmm. to make sacrifice of my uh, breakfast make sacrifice of my lunch right it, it seems like it's it's affecting the the quality of the life that you live. So have you have you attempted trying to find out why is it that they can't find regular accommodation for you? Have you continuously asked that question? You see, the thing is, everything have to be at the discretion of the home office. I have this experience. Uh, one day, somebody just woke up to me and said. Oh, get ready, we're taking you to Leicester. And I went like, but when I was coming here, you gave me a phone, and in that phone, you said, before you would take me out, you would give me at least a, a two weeks notice, or maybe a one week to two week notice. Okay. That notice was not given to me. I was told a vehicle is outside to take me to Leicester within, it was not after 10 minutes, and I, I really have to object at that point. I said, look, I, I can't meet up. I'm eating. So this this is the home office who just turn up at your hotel uh, and, and say there's accommodation for you in Leicester. Well, uh, yeah, and it was even an, a hotel again. So what I did was I declined. So what what was the purpose of moving you to that hotel? Is it because it would 
allow because you're a person with with a disability your needs would be met better there yes i was told that the, the hotel have more uh, access okay. for me okay yeah so they wanted to move me there but again because i was already i was already um, maybe feeling at home in the hotel more comfortable there and the notice was too short you can't expect me to i am eating they just serve me the food which i've been waiting for all my life to eat mm. as i'm eating the food you are telling me the vehicle is down to pick me whereas you already told me initially and i signed that you would give me a notice so there was no notice whatsoever i declined and fortunately to me i was called and questioned why i did and i i, I said the truth that no notice was given to me the time they came to pick me up was mm. too uh, limited and i am not saying i will not go but i need more time to be able to prepare and go to wherever they want to send me uh, and again i made an appeal i told them that look i'm good here so if you wouldn't mind since you are looking at my comfort in leicester i'm having the same comfort here so mm. allow me to stay and i think the reason with me and they granted it to me and i asked them mm -hmm. i hope there is no implication for this do you do you but do you think that this is what has actually happened now that you're probably still in this hotel because of of your refusal to go to leicester i, I don't think that is the reason because i asked them except mm. i asked them and they told me that there was no implication i i presented facts that were obvious for anyone reasonable to believe me i wasn't lying Mm. I have already signed a document that I was going to be given a notice. Mm. That notice was not given to me. If I was given a prior notice that I was coming to, they were coming to pick me up, of course, I would have obliged them to take me anywhere they want to take me. But right. that notice was not given to me. It was too sudden for me. So, right. uh, and I, I was told, again, when I declined, I even put it on notice that, look, I can still move despite the fact that you didn't give me notice, I am still willing to go with you. However, I think they reason with me. Okay, so six months on, you're still at the hotel. What What's the reason they're giving for not giving you just an ordinary house so you can live the way ordinary people live? Honestly, I asked that question the last time I spoke which I meant the answer I got is um, it is done at the discretion of the home office and it's indefinite. They don't know when they're coming to give me a, 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 an accommodation outside uh, the, the emergency accommodation. So it is something... Has, has your lawyer made any representations about this just because this is affecting the quality of your life? Of course it does to a large extent because I, I do feel highly depressed. I do feel uh, dehumanized. I do feel caged. I, I do feel I have lost my right as a human being. I do mm -hmm. feel a uh, different choice because I, I, I don't have the right to choose what to eat. I don't have the right uh, uh, to choose when to even go out. I don't mm -hmm. have even the right to volunteer and contribute to societal growth because I can only do that at my own expense of missing my square meal. And that makes me feel so, so depressed. And I wish something can be done in this respect uh, to allow asylum seekers to enjoy their basic uh, fundamental human right. To the best of my knowledge, I want to believe that asylum is not a crime. Seeking for asylum in UK is not a crime. 
and those who are bold enough, those who have run away from persecution, those who seek sanctuary in UK should be treated like humans. Should the, the, No one should take their basic rights away from them. I, I think that is a total departure from uh, the value system of our society where individuals ordinarily how to enjoy their full fundamental right. A situation where a particular segment of the society is denied their basic fundamental right yeah. in the name of seeking asylum in UK, I think mm. it is something that uh, the society may like to take a, a second look at and give asylum seekers uh, a human face. Right. I mean, that's, that's an incredible, incredibly powerful statement that you've made there. There is something that is very curious that I, I want, I want to hear your, your, your feelings. What would you feel about this? So I've, I was reviewing this document that uh, a person who seeks asylum is given. So when you arrive, it says on the top of it, it's called a bail, bail two o one document, which is quite. There's connotations there of some criminality. Um. What do you feel about it? Because it, it says bail 201, you're a person who's liable to be detained. Do you do you think that the the asylum process is in some ways akin to the criminal system because they've brought in this this bail term, which I would suggest is very controversial. Why are you being bailed when you're a person who's who's just come here to seek protection? I think basically uh, there may not be a legal justification to that, but there may be a moral justification to it in the sense that that bell is meant for security reasons. Mm. It's, it's, it's a process where uh, the UK used to check your status, your criminal record, to check if you are a worthy person with credibility. Okay. And uh, to in order to guarantee other people who may have access to you to of their security. In right. as much as you have your own security, mm. people that you are going to relate with should be also secured. And I think that is... Uh, what goes on uh, during the time of... And again, that process enabled the UK or the Home Office to to ascertain your characters. Mm. And if you are somebody that have no criminal record, if mm -hmm. you are not someone they could suspect, you are relieved to go into the society or you are given an emergency accommodation as the case may be. Mm. But if you are somebody with questionable characters mm. at that point, or it is... Uh, noticeable, it is evidence that you lack the ground to seek for asylum, then mm -hmm. at that point, you may be deported back to your country. And right. I think it basically affects many people who does not have genuine reason to seek for asylum. But if we seek for, it does also as, uh, uh, affect those that have genuine reason. But I think the reason behind that is mm -hmm. to be able to check uh, the integrity of asylum seekers test it to see that uh, if we bring them into the society, they will not constitute a nuisance uh, to other citizens. Right, okay. So it, it sounds like it's for for administrative purposes. Exactly. Um, so talk to us, Joseph, about about growing up in your in your country of origin and growing up as um, how you you ended up being a person with with disability. Yeah, um, I'm a victim of polio. I right. was vaccinated with fake 
polio vaccine. So when I grew up, I was prone uh, to poverty, meningitis. The, po uh -huh. the polio attacked me and I, I was vulnerable to it. So that kept me on the wheelchair at the age of nine. Mm -hmm. And I, I grew up uh, to found that I I couldn't live my life like any other uh, boy of my age. Mm -hmm. And I was rehabilitated to be able to use my crutches and use my wheelchair as the case may be. Mm -hmm. And uh, during uh, the, 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 the time of my persecution from where I came from, mm -hmm. my leg was broken again. So a kind right. of double jeopardy, double pains. I first got disabled as a result of polio and second uh, my leg was broken as a result of uh, persecution which i went through and was traumatic anyway so uh so that's, you you're, you've had all these hurdles yes i have your, to struggle life. with those pains challenges and, uh, and and that keep me on a wheelchair but this this didn't stop you from from being involved in the politics in your in your country of origin uh, I'm, I'm someone who is very determined and as you know, uh, he who uh, started fight and run away live to fight tomorrow again. Mm. You see, uh, one is here to seek for asylum, to seek for sanctuary does not mean one wants to remain in UK forever. As yeah. far as the situation back home is uh, more healthier, uh, that is guarantee my security. Why not? I, I, that's where I come from and I love my country. I'm a patriotic citizen and I want to contribute to the growth of my country and my continent. So uh, as soon as things stabilized, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be here. Nobody, I don't think anybody will leave his country uh, and, and come to be subjected to uh, being referred to as a refugee. Uh, the name mm -hmm. refugee is is, is 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 a name that many people may not people like me may ordinarily mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't want to be associated with the name but the prevailing circumstances uh won't have to uh, save his life and you have no option than to subject yourself in living in a strange country where all your rights are practically uh taken away from you so it's it, it is we, we many of us who are salon seeker will look forward going back to our countries if the situation will improve and the quality of our life there will be guaranteed so uh, oh. we do look forward I, I do personally i do look forward for the day i will be free just like any other person in my country and go back to make uh, immense contribution to the development of my country right i mean there's people generally the general public are confronted with all these headlines in the newspapers which which paint a picture of uh, people who just want to come here that that isn't the case is it nobody just leaves their country because they they want to come here for what yes others may but i don't think anybody seeking for asylum in uk mm. we not have a ground and come to and that is why the process of asylum is there to checkmate who is genuine and who is not genuine and mm -hmm. this is where i want to make this advocacy and it's an appeal to the government mm -hmm. that look people cases should be decided earlier if they are not qualified for asylum send them mm -hmm. back and yeah. if they are qualified give it to them this is somebody that is already traumatized in his own country yeah. for the fact that he or she seek asylum it mm -hmm. means something is chasing that person from home yeah. now he comes here and then you don't attend to him he he's already traumatized the asylum process is also traumatizing that is yeah. why many people i recently 
There are reported cases of asylum seekers committing suicide, some mm. dying in hotels. Their reason may not be far-fetched. It is actually depressing. Someone mm. could contemplate suicide. The pains perpetually you are going through and it's, it, it's, it's indefinite. Mm. So you could like to end it. And that shouldn't be the case. I think asylum seekers should be encouraged to leave. Mm-hmm. They should be encouraged to seek sanctuary which they come to seek. Many mm-hmm. of us are not here based on uh, economic reason. Mm-hmm. We are not economic seekers. We are asylum seekers. Our mm-hmm. lives were threatened, not our economy. And we ran here to seek for sanctuary. We're not mm-hmm. coming to take jobs. Away. We are here to protect our lives. So yeah. the idea of we coming to take jobs from the citizens of the UK is unfounded. And I think for those who make bold to make such statements are highly inhuman to some of us. We, some of us are doing very well in our countries. We have jobs. But we're here because we want to protect our life. So mm-hmm. the, 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 the argument of people coming here to take jobs or seek economic asylum should be jettisoned. Yeah. Yes. It should, it what what is your What is your experience of of Home Office officials, the ones that you've dealt with? Do you Do you feel that they're they are competent? There's a question of competency there because there's numerous cases which, at the first point, people are refused asylum, but then once they appeal to to a tribunal, those decisions are reversed. So I'd really want to zone in on that and get some insight in your your dealings with the Home Office. What has your experience been like? Yeah, it would be very unfair to me to say they are competent. They are highly competent. Okay. But just like I said earlier, if you notice a trend, most mm. ap- applications fell at the initial stage and then on appeal they are granted. And the reasons are obvious. Okay. At the initial stage, they don't have access to a lawyer, so they make blunders. Mm. They will make blunders because this is a legal procedure. Mm. And for a non-lawyer to go through that challenging... And if you, if you have information about the law of a salon, you realize that the proof is very, very difficult. The, the stakes are high. The burden of proof the is burden entirely of proof on you. It's entirely on the applicant. Now, if you don't make up your case... Mm-hmm. At the initial stage, mm-hmm. if you don't give it a good background, definitely you will make mistakes. So many people do make mistakes at the initial stage. Then during the appeal, now they have access to a lawyer, and then the lawyer make further submission, and the lawyer uh, have to really get the root of the matter to get more facts and more evidence that can stand the test of time. And that's the reason why most people normally get the asylum uh, uh, at the appeal. And second, basically, if my experience has made me to understand that the asylum process, those who managed the asylum process do not, their first option is they don't want to give you. So why, they try why to... Why do you think that is? I, I will explain that. They don't want to give you. Therefore, they look at issues. Even though you have grounds, they are looking for where they could puncture your integrity. They are looking for where they could disqualify you. So even when something that ordinarily should not be considered as a ground to refuse your asylum, they will use it against you. But if it was the other way around, that their first option is they want to give you, so they are looking for evidence, they could actually waive some of, some of the nitty-gritties that may not constitute a good ground to deny someone asylum. Mm-hmm. But because they are, it, it, it appears they are desperate to deny you, mm-hmm. so what they are looking for, they are not looking for the ground 
that qualifies you, they are looking for what disqualifies you, even when it's not obvious. And that reflects in the appeal judgment. In the appeal judgment. Yes. Right. And you, you ask me, why do I think uh, they don't want to give you? I think the idea, it may not be legal, but it's what is called a de facto discrimination. The idea of... Uh, or of having a discrimination that is not on paper is mm. it, it seems to be uh, rising its head. The idea of asylum seeker coming to compete with jobs in UK or coming to take jobs from the citizen or coming to uh, leverage on the UK taxpayers' money, it's something that I think the Home Office is trying to avoid indirectly. And as such, they are very harsh very very harsh with mm -hmm. people who seek asylum maybe to protect the number of people that may end up being integrated in the society and mm -hmm. thereafter begin to compete with the limited jobs with the citizen that is happening not legally but it's happening indirectly mm -hmm. because when we ask the question how comes many cases are denied at the initial stage and the appeal court is upturning them the answer mm -hmm. is obvious mm -hmm. somebody okay. somewhere is not doing what is expected at the initial stage because it's the same person that you denied and the court of appeal is looking at the same law so what happened and when these issues become rampant mm. then you can make a deduction you can actually begin to make assumptions mm. just like i'm making now you can you can yeah. speculate around it mm. there can be many speculation around it you can speculate the reason and the reason one can speculate that may make sense is they want to deny it to you they don't want you to have it by all means, even when the law permits it. Mm -hmm. And this is evidence in the cases of appeals where people are denied and they get it on a, a appeal. Get it on appeal. And there's there's this whole issue about the right to work. I mean, listening to you there, I I suspect um, there's a correlation there that that right to work is also denied for the very reasons that you state. Yeah, let me make a brief comment about the right to work. The right to work is a universal declaration right. These mm. are rights that inherent. Now, I love the UK legal system. Okay. The UK legal system permits asylum seekers to volunteer. Mm. That is to work. The challenge I have is the law at one point says you are allowed to volunteer, but you are not allowed to earn money. That is a total departure from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights because the Universal Declaration of Human Rights states unequivocally, very clear, that you have the right to work and you have the right to earn a decent living. Mm -hmm. So the question I may like to ask is, why do I have the right to volunteer but I don't have the right to earn? What is wrong with me earning? If I am not good to be associated with the society, then stop me from volunteering. Mm. If my quality, my, my work is good to go and volunteer, then I should be able to earn mm. for my work. Anybody that should work, as a matter of fact, it will amount to inhumanity to human when you say I can volunteer, but I can't earn. I can work, but I can't earn. That made me a, a slave. It is only slaves that work for free all their life. Mm. I can't be subjected for not earning but you allow me to work yeah, that amount of volunteering without without earning any. and, it, and it then violates. people who who were subject to immigration detention 
This is what is curious about this whole system. So for whatever reason, if you are detained, you're you're allowed to work whilst you're in detention and are entitled to a pound an hour. I mean, what what what, what do you think about that? So if, if you're in detention, you can work. But when you are outside of that detention system, you don't have this right. I think one can label that modern slavery and it should stop mm. because... There's a minimum wage in UK. Hmm. If irrespective of whether you are detained, I don't think that right should be taken away because you have not been found guilty. Hmm. So why should I work for a pound when I should be work for at least a minimum wage, which is eight pound point or nine pound thereabout? So it's a a violation. But the challenge is most of the asylum seekers who are uh, uh, who have experienced those injustices don't have what it takes to challenge the system. These are vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. So their vulnerability continues. They are subjected to that not because they want it. These Mm -hmm. are people who are already vulnerable back home and they are here for survival. So they go through these challenges irrespective of whether they like it or not. So it's Mm -hmm. what I could call modern slavery. And I think we should appeal to the authorities to Mm -hmm. take another look at this. Because human rights are universal and... We need to allow every human being mm-hmm. to have access to his or her fundamental right. You can only take my right when the law permits you. If I'm not guilty of an of a criminal offense or of a court judgment or of a court sentence, why should I begin to reap the fruit of somebody who is convicted? Why, why should I begin to be punished when I'm not nobody has pronounced me criminal? Mm. Yet the punishment meant for criminals is applied to me. I think that is uh, a violation of right and it has to be re-examined again and a better position taken in order to strengthen the asylum process. And let me say this, Mm -hmm. I love the UK asylum process, but there's a problem with the implementation because most of those things does not reflect in the extant laws. And I think there's a disconnect. So people who are at home will, will, will be interested to know that if the Home Office don't make a decision in your case in particular, um, just like any other case which is hasn't reached a 12-month period, there is something that the Home Office call a, a shortage occupation list. And if you are qualified and you haven't received a decision from the Home Office in a 12-month period, at that point, you get the right to work, but only in a, in a limited area. So, being a person who's qualified in the law, um, would you would you pursue something at the twelve month period, or you would be hoping that by then that they've they've given you they've made a decision on your case? Yes, I I think that is where what we call conflict of laws hmm. have to play play. That is, it's a matter of legislation. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to argue further that it's a conflict of law mm-hmm. is a different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Before the interim, the UK legislations have already said, have already stated that clearly, mm-hmm. that you cannot work except in certain categories, and that has to be followed. And as far as that legislation is there, mm-hmm. whether it is morally wrong is a different thing. Mm-hmm. But legally, it is not wrong because it is already captured by the UK legal system. So, you may argue that it violates international law. Mm-hmm. And that's a different thing. 
and I wouldn't want to go into the nitty-gritty of the legality of it. But, as I said, legally, there's nothing bad about it. But maybe morally, if we consider it on moral basis, mm. human rights and stuff like that, we may be able to say it is not human and it should be jettisoned out of the law. From everything that you've 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 said, it it seems to me there appears to be a, a disproportionate interference with with your human right when it comes to the, the asylum process. And given the way that this country is has been built and its history, why do you think this is? Why do you think that this system exists in the in the state that it currently is given this country has had an empire it has a commonwealth and it's dealt with all these issues of interfering with people's human rights why does the asylum system remain the way that it is what what purpose does it serve you see i love the uk and uh, that's why i'm here mm. but the uk have a history of slavery and we cannot run away from uh, our history Mm. Our history have a way of repeating itself. Mm. Uh, at a point in our history, we were reminded that uh, the UK was involved in slave trade. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the slave trade, they went into colonizing other uh, countries like Africa and most of the black nations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think the law of asylum is a, is a silent reminder that the UK is yet to welcome people of color in their nation. They still have this um, a negative look at the black people. And whether you like it or not, most people who seek asylum fall within these categories of human race. Mm. So the moment they come here, that discrimination have a way of rising. And that is why you can't see those treatments in their law. Mm. It is done at the discretion of people who run the system. The UK legal system is above that kind of, that local discrimination. But the operators of this law, there's a missing link. And why have this continued to linger on for many years is because asylum seekers are vulnerable and they cannot challenge impunity. Mm. They can't challenge the law. This is somebody who is weak, who does not have any financial strength. And you can't go to the court when you don't have the financial muscles to pay the lawyers to help advocate for you in the court of law. So this have to continue. It is a silent discrimination against people who seek asylum in UK. You want you call it de facto discrimination. It is not in the law, but it's happening. It's happening, and it ties in. It ties into the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there is some agency there. I suppose that you could link to the whole asylum process, being yourself a person of, of African origin. Yes, I think uh, the reinsurgence of Black Lives Matter is the story of asylum seekers in the UK. Mm. Uh, the asylum seekers' life in UK does not matter. And that is why we can easily connect with the Black Lives Movement. It is the same treatment that is extended to us here. Unfortunately, like I keep on saying over and over again, we lack 
the economic power to challenge the system. And therefore, we can only be rescued if the UK government decide to look inward at our appeal, mm-hmm. look inward and try to condemn those sharp practices mm-hmm. that seems to uh, move away from the protection of human rights. Yeah. Every life matter. An injustice to one is an injustice to all. Therefore, we cannot segregate against the black because we are here not just to take, we are here to contribute. Mm-hmm. We are here to also contribute to the... De- and the blacks are doing so well mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. The NHS is mm-hmm. massively characterized by them. Mm-hmm. What that means is we have a lot to make this country great, mm-hmm. better, mm-hmm. bigger, like never. The more the UK citizen open her doors to asylum seekers, the better the country will develop in different sectors. Mm. And I think it is something that the UK government may like to look at the benefit of having people of diverse nationalities in their midst, people who doesn't have criminal records, Mm-hmm. People who have integrity, people who are here because they are looking for a sanctuary. Welcome them in your midst. Mm-hmm. Give them the opportunities and they will contribute. They will pay tax. They will work and pay tax and the UK will develop to a level where they have never expected. I think these people have a whole lot to offer to the society. So the better the UK uh, embrace them and integrate them into their system, the better mm-hmm. for the economy, the better for human rights, the better for all. UK is known to be in the in the front when it comes to issue of, of human rights protection. And I think, and I want to believe, that the UK will extend this gesture of protecting the right of asylum seekers. That will make them uh, more uh, good in the eyes of international community. It will make them look more human. And I think the nation will grow better if everybody is giving his or her right without discrimination. Right. Okay, Joseph. So, in in summary, this has been a very insightful and very interesting conversation. Let's just let's just talk about your your recommendations. What what do you think needs to change and needs to change now in order for for your experience as a person with with a disability to to improve and for others who will who will follow in your in your footsteps what in this process needs to change yeah i will recommend four things two uh, yeah four things one uh, people with disabilities should be treated uh differently in the sense that they should be protected under the uk law under the equality act they should be allowed the benefit for instance they should not be allowed to wait. There should be a quota system. How many disabled people mm. seek asylum in UK, for instance? Mm. Give them audience based on their quota system. You don't keep them waiting for a lot. This, this is someone who is already vulnerable. You are vulnerable because you're an asylum seeker, and then you are vulnerable because you are disabled. Mm. So the asylum process for disabled people needs to be accelerated based on the quota system. How many of us are here looking for asylum? Yeah. Put that into consideration and give them... Uh, 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 accelerate uh, their asylum process. That is one recommendation that I, I can strongly make. Second, 
uh, the asylum process should be revealed generally for everybody. Okay. And what that means is lift the ban. The UK need to lift the ban to allow the asylum seeker once you are registered, mm-hmm. you have the right to work. It has been done elsewhere. Sweden is doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think their economy keep on getting stronger because they take advantage of these people who seek asylum and integrate them into their economy. And their labor force is growing. They, they are doing very well. The UK have a whole lot. And I think I have to put this on notice uh, for the mm-hmm. sake of uh, this interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money the UK spent in keeping people in hotel is far above allowing this person to be integrated into the society and contribute to the society. Mm-hmm. So, they are rather the UK system, the taxpayers' money is being wasted by not allowing people to work. So, if the UK can permit people to work, they can save the taxpayers' money that they use on hotels, emergency. That can be served to contribute to NHS and that will make life better. So, that is the second recommendation lift the ban. Mm-hmm. And the third recommendation is asylum process should be followed strictly. The law should be followed. There should be no discre- uh, discretion mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. And the last recommendation is our asylum process should be reduced to three months. Do you think that that's, that's reasonable? You Very think that reasonable. They, they should be able to come to a decision within three months? Yes, they can because they need more workers they need more staffs i mm-hmm. think why it delays is because they don't have enough workers to be able to get this done they need to get more uh, people to more hands mm-hmm. so asylum cases should be decided within three months so that this person does not keep on wasting the taxpayers money he's either qualified or not and you send him back that helps right. it helps the person seeking the asylum it helps uk to save their hard earned money the taxpayers money and it helps for the person to continue his to to to, to continue living his normal life like any other person Instead of keeping me for years, which at the end of the day you may deny me, it's we make people to commit suicide. And I think we should discourage suicide among asylum seekers. No, absolutely. I I would absolutely endorse that and agree with that. So finally, Joseph, you're you're a bit of a, a trailblazer in that you you've applied to to a university here to to do a PhD. To pursue a PhD, talk talk to us about that and what you're doing currently to to try and ensure that you your dream comes true and that you can go and do this PhD. Yes, uh, I am a, a legal practitioner. I'm a trained lawyer, mm-hmm. and uh, I have fortunately I have my masters in UK. And mm-hmm. uh, I graduated. From, I did my masters in UK, and I've gotten an offer for a PhD program because. I, I want to pursue my doctorate degree in law. Mm. And uh, I've gotten an offer. I've gotten two offers, actually. Okay. Yes. And I'm determined to see that I don't waste my life in UK. I, I, I want to contribute to the country, UK, by virtue of my scholarship, or the virtue of my, my, my education. I'm a researcher. Mm. And uh, I would like to use those skills uh, to build uh, while I'm in UK and as well. So... I have to apply to get an offer to do my PhD, even though I am not entitled to student financing. Mm-hmm. Um, trying every means I can, maybe from the general public, who could help, or anybody who could have an empathy for my cause uh, to support uh, and 
that dream could come to truth. So uh, I'm a scholar and I, I really want to continue to contribute uh, to the society uh, with my scholarly writing and in a quest uh, mm-hmm. to make uh, the country better. I'm a human rights activist and I want to continue living my life to protect the life of the vulnerable group, not only in UK, but anywhere I find myself in future. And that's the reason why I, I couldn't stop volunteering for the British Red Cross and the Coventry Refugee Centre as an advisor. Right, okay, that's 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 great. And there is a crowdfund that you're doing and I'll provide the link through our through our website. So if you go to www.carag.co.uk, um, there's a link there that we'll we'll post together with with this podcast today. So so Joseph, thank you, thank you so much for for talking to us and giving us insight into what people with a disability go through when they come to Britain to to claim asylum. And I I wish you all the very best in the future. Thank you so much, and I would like to appeal to the public to support me in my crowdfunding to be able to enable me to uh, pursue my PhD uh, in the university here in UK as an asylum seeker. Thank you. That's great. So to everybody at home, um, we'd en- encourage you to to go to our website to carag.co.uk and go and have a look at the things that Carag as a community, as a grassroots community organization are, are involved with and to join and to follow us on our social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Our handle is Carag Coventry. Um, and to sign up for our, for our newsletter, which has a lot of detail about how you could possibly come and, and volunteer at Carag and, and meet people who come to Britain to come and seek protection. I hope you can join us on our next episode.